Mini episode 1306 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You'll want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini-episode 1306. This is FDH Lounge managing partner Rick Morris. We have with us here today... Good friend, longtime uh, FDH Lounge dignitary, FDH NBA analyst specifically, Ben Chu. We are previewing the 2020 NBA draft, and of course, under the circumstances here, this being the year 2020, it is uh, taking place several months after it is supposed to. It uh, is not generally held in mid-November. Generally by mid-November, we're well into the next season, but again, it's 2020, and we are still in the process of getting ready for the next season with uh, the most truncated off-season of all time. And uh, right in the midst of it here, again, we have the NBA draft. It will be taking place virtually, I believe, from NBA headquarters next Wednesday night, November the 18th. And uh, will be, of course, transmitted as per usual on the ESPN network. And this will be a thing here. Our preview that we're doing, this will be embedded in the cover. You want to go check this out because it is getting uploaded at about the same time as this podcast. Pro Hoops Draftology 2020. It's our look at the draft from the FDH Lounge, FantasyDraftHelp.com, and Sportsology. Mock draft, rankings in there, team needs, etc., etc., etc. So, This preview that we're doing is a wonderful augmentation of that. So pleased that my good friend Ben Chu could make the time to do this here today. Ben, a pleasure to have you on as always, my friend. And uh, I don't know if this will be a draft class worthy of the conversation we're about to have. Let's hope so. It's going to be an interesting one, Rick. If I've always learned anything about the drafts that are not as clear-cut as the other ones, we have a lot of intriguing prospects. So I think it's simple just to jump in and jump Can I speak today? Jump ahead on this one. There we go. Yeah, and uh, we'll have to see how it plays out because this is one of these things where, again, it uh, is not worth tanking in a year like this to get any of the uh, top picks here. Coming into the year, there were any number of players thought to be perhaps tank-worthy, and uh, the ones that are basically at the top of the draft class are among them. In any order you will see on all draft boards the following three players. Anthony Edwards, shooting guard from Georgia. Lamelo Ball, point guard who played internationally this past year. He of the famous uh, father, unfortunately, and uh, other famous brothers. And James Wiseman, center at Memphis for approximately 15 minutes this past year, but we'll still list him as a center from Memphis. And then on some boards you will see the consensus player of the year in college, Obi Toppin, listed as being part of the top tier. There's questions about whether he might perhaps be a tweener at the next level, what his ceiling might be. He's got a higher floor than most. He's a 6'9 power forward from Dayton. And uh, Obi Toppin 
is a guy who, uh, again, many people think uh, will be staying in the state of Ohio, perhaps dropping to the Cleveland Cavaliers with the fifth pick here. But it's those four players, by and large, that people tend to have rated the highest. It seems likely, Ben Chu, that some combination of Edwards, Ball, Wiseman will be going one, two, three. There is a possibility uh, that there may be a player or players going before Toppin. It's possible there may be a player or players going before one of those three. It's not necessarily that likely, but I would say it's possible if only because it may be very difficult to find teams interested in trading up to get these guys. And if you're Golden State at two or Charlotte at three, and there's somebody you like outside of quote-unquote this top three, you may just make that move there. Right, and I think the real issue right now is that since this is a super top-heavy draft, a lot of teams are moving and trying to pop in. Again, we haven't seen a scenario where a lot of teams have had this amount of time to work with players. And on top of that, we also have not seen a scenario like this where the NBA offseason is so truncated, like essentially free agency is going to start two days after the draft. So you're going to feel, I think this might break the record for most trades ever happened in an NBA draft, it would not surprise me one bit. And we're going to see a lot of Euros go in the first round, which I'm trying to remember if I remember correctly. At some point in the early 2010 draft, they set the record of a of seven or eight. We might see even more than that, just based on how sort of lackluster the college bracket guys essentially came out. And I think it's going to be interesting to see because we're seeing a lot of rising from a lot of the Euro prospects, including Benny Avish, who I was going to link to teams like Cleveland and Chicago, Killian Hayes, the kid who played at Radofacio Holm in Germany, been linked to the Knicks and the Pistons. And then, I mean, one guy that we didn't get to really talk about too much, the Blizzard rising because of the running of Bam out of was UFC freshman big man on that show, Cockwood. And it's going to be interesting to see because he was the guy that could have been projected, was sitting in the middle of the draft and has now risen up based on how they have performed in the playoffs for Miami. And guys essentially will see teams now starting to look for flexible big guys to do pass to me. Yes, that's an excellent point. I'm, I'm very glad you mentioned it in that context because I was going to if you didn't because there is a sense now, and I think it was an article on The Ringer talking about the growing concept of Playmaker 5s you got uh, the Joker in Denver, who is sort of the modern uh, pioneer of that. Not the all-time pioneer, right, because Wilt was a playmaker as well as a scorer, but you got to go way back on that. You look at Bam Adebayo, and now we're starting to look at a trend. We're seeing teams that went deep in the playoffs that had a playmaking five. And for Okongwu, the ability not just to score, which, again, that remains as is the question a lot of times, right, with power forwards slash centers, what's their offensive upside? Uh, he still has some questions to answer in that regard there. But the ability to set up his teammates, this is something where, as you say, because of everything Bam was able to do, Okongwu clearly benefits from that, and the thought in a lot of teams here, hey, maybe this guy could grow to do the same thing for us. And I think also this would be effective when the Lakers won the title with Anthony Davis as well as Sure. There hasn't really been, and I remember there was a point made about this, I think it was an analyst on Twitter said, the difference is that we're not seeing true small ball in the NBA, but what we're seeing is positionless basketball, essentially. A little bit. I, I think the 
issue is moving forward is that big guys are always going to be big guys. Big guys are always going to be around. We're never, we never were going to see a pair of big guys. We're ever going to fully disappear from sure. basketball. We're going to see the evolution of how these guys are going to start to play. And it, again, it will not shock me five to ten years from now we see a guy very similar to Shaq. So again, it, it's always the one thing that we as human beings we've learned anything from the COVID time like we're terrible at seeing into the future. So what we are seeing though in the league is that we're starting to see how position with basketball and how spread basketball is allowing big guys to react and play just as well. We're just not seeing as many seven footers who can just run and dunk as much as they used to. Right. And when you talk about that, that somebody who maybe a year ago could have been said to project potentially like Shaq, not in terms of his physicality, right, because Shaq was pretty much one of a kind when it came to having that frame, but in terms of a dominant offensive and defensive game, James Wiseman. Of course, the questions were going to be how he was going to blossom offensively. We only got to see, what, three games of that from Memphis here. I was a guy that, as you know, a year ago, I was just, like, obsessed with the notion of the Cavs being able to get him in the draft. And now... The notion that he won't drop to the Cavs at five, I'm like, meh, you know, because this is a guy that could just as easily be a guy, I don't want to say a bust necessarily, but a guy who doesn't live up to the billing of wherever he gets taken. If he develops that offensive game, then he's probably going to be the best player from this draft. But if he doesn't, he's going to be fairly interchangeable, I think. Exactly. If he's a guy that can't space the floor, uh, he shouldn't even be considered a lottery pick. But at this point, teams are looking at him as though he may be able to become (laughs) that, and that would be, uh, you know, a wise calculation for one of these teams here. I don't know that it's a wise calculation as high as he's going to go, but we'll see. You know, it's an interesting thing here. We did not get to see uh, any of these teams in March Madness. That was, of course, when the COVID-19 shutdowns began happening, so we got, what, maybe 80-85% of a body of work of these players we got to see last year, but not the most critical games, and that those are sometimes opportunities for players to separate themselves a little bit. When you're talking about this draft class, you were talking about Anthony Edwards, one of the guys that I look at that, uh, I mean, and this might seem really unfair to single out somebody from this draft class as a poster child, But a year ago, this was not considered to be uh, a bad draft class. This was considered to be a draft class that really could be 
pretty doggone good and really, really, really strong at the point guard position. And one of the guys that was a candidate to go number one a year ago, I'm looking at the most recent NBA draft.net mock draft, which, by the way, that, that's an excellent site resource to use. I, I go to this thing all the time. And they have Cole Anthony, point guard from North Carolina, 15th. And again, I don't want to dump on the kid excessively, call him a poster child for the class, but the way he slid from the top of the draft class down sort of mirrors the way that you look at this crop overall. This is a crop that you thought going into the season could be really good. I was concerned, again, as a Cavs fan, we don't need another point guard, and it looks like it's going to be point guard heavy. And then here now, at, at the end of the season, I think any of us would be hungering for any type of automatic answers at any position, but there's no Zion Williamson's in this draft. No, and I, I think that there's still a lot of great prospects out there. We'll mention a bunch of them coming up, but the real question I ultimately have for a lot of teams is that in a draft where teams were not really allowed to scout like they normally would, but they had so much time to look at the, the prevailing opinion that they're going to make less calculated risks, but I would also assume you want to take more risks because there is really no clear-cut guy who's going to pan out on the next level. Like, you can say things, you can say white men and words will know ball are the top three guys in this draft, no question, but they all have their faults, they all have their problems. And I think the real question is ultimately going to be is that in this draft class, who's going to be the guy that kind of moves forward? And I think it kind of just feels like one of those draft classes where you're going to have a lot of talented guys go in the top from the better players that can go in the, in the late lottery, post-lottery slots. Yeah, and I think in looking at this, by the way, LaMelo Ball who uh, is, is the one guy on the quote-unquote top tier that we haven't really talked about much yet. I mean, for him, I don't want to oversimplify, but isn't it the same thing, more or less, basically, that you get with anybody the last name ball? Peerless court vision, but what's the guy going to be like as a shooter-slash-scorer? And that's the thing that keeps him from being what would be the automatic number one pick overall. At his size, 6'8", granted, he's only 180 right now, so he's thin as hell, but... Uh, at his size, man, if he could shoot, he'd be the slam dunk number one. But we don't know how well he can shoot. Uh, the, the early returns are not as promising, and that's why he's a question mark, but still on that top tier because everybody's a question mark to some degree or another. Right. And, and with every NBA draft we've ever done, we've always had to make analysis points and figuring of what, we, what these prospects are always going to project out to be. It just feels like you would think a draft like this the amount of time that GMs and scouts have had to look at these guys, even though they haven't seen them in person as much as like individual workouts, they've had time to study a lot of secret. This is not like, we're not in a scenario where studying tape is an impossibility. Right. So we're going to see how it, it, it feels almost like there's two ways this draft will go. On one side, it's going to be just a free-for-all and, and, and anything goes sort of everything, or it's going to be a lot of calculated moves. So right. it, it, and it could be a mixture of both. And that's what I think makes this draft just so, on the outset, look so entertaining. Because no one in the world is going to know what's just going to happen next. Exactly. And uh, once you get off That's right. That's right. And if it is, if there's one guy in here that a lot of people really do think they can get a handle on, uh, it would be Obi Toppin, the aforementioned power forward from Dayton. And that's a guy that, again, he looks like he's going to be a really, really good NBA player. 
I think the question is how great he's going to be. Right now, he had, the, the, the foremost concerns with him would be on the defensive end of the floor and uh, questions about uh, how well he uh, is going to improve in that regard. That could make him a tough fit for a team like the Cavs, who already have a putrid team defense as it is. Uh, albeit, uh, again, they could really use a guy with his, uh, a young guy with his offensive upside uh, in the front court. So uh, Toppin is a guy where, again, you know, if, if he was better defensively, uh, if you could look at him and necessarily project that he was going to be as dominant at the pro level as he was at the college level, then, hey, he would be the lock to go number one. you that then. Uh, let, let's just look at him for a specific instance in terms of the Cavs roster because this is one that I, I can I can immediately envision what you're talking about here as far as if you want to start the guy with some minutes at the three, that's the Cavs most immediate need as it stands right now. But in terms of how he measures up defensively, is there the potential for ugliness if you have him at the three next to two of the three guys, let's say two out of these three, Andre Drummond, Kevin Love, Larry Nance Jr. Is it potentially ugly to slide him into the three with those guys, or, or is that something you could see gelling okay? I mean, you could gel, but again, it's a, it, in my opinion, it's the size of what, what you're trying to play just overall with his, with his nature. I mean, you could use him even as a flex guy at the five to have him run around mm-hmm. in terms of those red formations that the Suns use to run all the time during the I just struggle with him only because collegiately he was a fantastic player, but there was times it kind of felt like he was overpowering a lot of dudes who sure. just had no chance against him. Right. And in the NBA, that clearly will flip really quickly, but he has the rim running ability and all these great abilities to make big plays, and he's always very heady. He doesn't strike me as a guy with a big ego, so that would really fit a lot of teams right away. And it's weird because a lot of these college Right. Guys like Tyree Tolliver from Iowa State and guys like uh, Tyrell Perry from Stanford were, were now projected as these guys to be really good. But you also don't know where to really put them in terms of the hierarchy of the top college prospects. And I would think with how the league is trending, it's going to be really interesting to see guys like Isaac Okoro from Villanova and guys like Devin Bastel from Florida State where they're going to eventually end up because I see those guys to be either fantastic or they can be bust. Right. And this uh, this next tier down, once you get past uh, Toppin, uh, it's a tier that goes basically from five down to the end of the lottery and perhaps just a shade below it. You mentioned a couple of the guys there looking at it positionally, point guards, 
Tyrese Halliburton seems to me to be one of the most uh, beloved prospects of all time. Not necessarily in terms of talent, although I'm not ripping on his talent either, but in terms of leadership, upside, or not upside necessarily, but attitude and uh, the, the intangibles, so to speak here. Tyrese Halliburton, point guard from Iowa State. You also mentioned the point guard from Stanford, Tyrell Terry, when you're looking at other guys uh, in there as well at the point guard position. You mentioned before internationally he played in uh, France last year, Killian Hayes, uh, 6'5 point guard, who is thought to be, again, very heady and, and very smart as a player. Uh, uh, I'm going to say he said he played in France, he played in Germany. Okay, well he, uh, all right. My, we're talking France, you're talking about Theo Maldo on the, the Well, wait a minute. Guy. I'm gonna throw NBA Draft. I'm gonna throw NBA Draft.net under the bus because it says France here. So is that is that his extraction, well, perhaps? He, he played in France. He played for Rockville Holmes in Germany. Okay. He had a lot of time, Rick. Okay. For him, for him. Okay. All right. All right. I love. Okay. I I love you, NBA Draft.net, but clean it up, my friends. <laughs> so. Clean yeah. And uh, it turns. They were fully Yes, uh, point point well taken. In in terms of uh, swing men here, uh, Tyrese Maxey from uh, Kentucky, he's thought to go more towards uh, the bottom end of the lottery if he makes it there. By the way, Cole Anthony also at point guard, since I threw him under the bus before. That's a guy that has a chance to make the back end of the lottery at point guard, 6'3 point guard from North Carolina. But other swing men, uh, you, you have... Somebody who was a sort of fast riser in the offseason here to, to lock his way probably into the draft lottery. Devin Vassell from Florida State, shooting guard. Uh, you have uh, Isaac Okoro, the uh, shooting guard slash small forward from Auburn, who you and I talked about him off air. Elite defensively, offensively, what's he going to be? Eh, don't know. Uh, and, and if I was a Cavs fan, I would be very leery on the gamble of that. Uh, Sadiq Bey, the uh, small forward from Villanova. This is a pretty good draft, basically, for, for swing men in this level here, basically. Aaron Nesmith, the uh, swing man from Vanderbilt. He could play a little bit, perhaps, of shooting guard or small forward. As you start to get a little bit bigger uh, in there, uh, you have the uh, small forward slash power forward swing man, Patrick Williams, also from Florida State. And you have uh, Jalen Smith, power forward from Maryland. And uh, Precious Achiwa, the small forward slash power forward from Memphis. Boy, what a team Memphis could have had if he could have played with Wiseman last year. So these are all guys, and there might be some generous folks that still put point guard slash shooting guard swing. R.J. Hampton, who played internationally last year, might put him on that tier. Most probably wouldn't, I suppose. But these are the guys you can look at going immediately after Toppin, perhaps even before him, as we mentioned. And then, uh, along with Okongwu, who you talked about before, he certainly belongs in that conversation as well. All the way through probably the end of the draft lottery and perhaps a bit beyond. Right, and I think, again, with the European process, there's a lot of interesting guys. Like, I know we just mentioned uh, Theo Maldo, who played at LBFC in who was just a fantastic. He's still really young, 16, uh, not 16, 18, with a 6 eight body who can make great passes. Guys who are like trailing down the bottom of the draft. Someone from uh, Barcelona FC, Leandro Balomo, who was another great 
Alexei Pakovsky, is that the one? Paku. Yes. Yes, from Serbia. He's been a guy that was originally, I thought, was linked to OKC, but not there for a long time. And he's been now slowly rising up the draft stock. Uh, he was initially listed as a late, early second round pick, but I think people love his seven foot range. He's lanky, he needs to grow into his body, but could shoot the lights out of Viacos. So, I mean, it's a very interesting European draft. And. It's weird because normally about this timeline we know a little bit more about the European prospect than we do the college prospect, but I feel like they're on even even footing to be honest. Sure, I mean, and I'm I'm very enamored uh, of that kid. Uh, again, though, seven foot one ninety. I mean, this is a guy that makes the late great Manute Bowl look obese by comparison. So the amount that he's going to have to fill out. Uh, they got him listed as a center at NBADraft.net. I mean, just to play power forward, this guy would have to put on 30 uh, pounds. But, you know, yeah, the, the, that kind of upside, a guy that big that can shoot like that, that's what the game is moving towards, essentially. And uh, he, he is considered by Draft.net to be uh, an early second-round guy. But that's a guy where, yeah, like if my Cavs were trading back, that's a guy I'd want him to be all over. Uh, and also, too, you, you can always buy draft picks in the second round, generally speaking, probably even more so with the coronavirus, right? So uh, Dan Gilbert, with his willingness to do that, if he could swoop in and get a second-round pick and take him, that would be uh, very, very outstanding. And it's not like he hasn't done it before, because it's more or less what he did with uh, Kevin Porter Jr. a year ago. Granted, there were four second-round picks involved in that, but as I said at the time, second-round picks come and go. Kids with KPJ's upside don't. Yet you have, in looking at this here, the second-round projections, it's interesting. Some guys that, again, I had seen projected to go higher than this at earlier points in time, and uh, so potentially guys that could be good value here in the second round. Isaiah Stewart, the power forward slash center from Washington, perhaps a bit undersized, and I think maybe that's why he might be sliding, uh, but a guy who had a very, very solid pro career. Uh, speaking of Isaiah's, Isaiah Joe, I've seen him going a lot higher than this, the point guard slash shooting guard from Arkansas, who's considered to be now on their uh, mock draft a mid-second round pick. Uh, Trey Jones, the point guard from uh, from Duke, just uh, nauseates me that they have him going to Golden State. As a Golden State hater, I can see them turning that kid around and <laughs> maximizing his upside. So even in the second round, uh, and again, late, late second round, uh, the projection here is that Philly takes Cassius Winston, point guard out of Michigan State. Uh, that could be intriguing. So uh, again, somebody like him, not the highest ceiling in the world, but, I mean, you know, pretty good floor as a rotational guy, potentially. So, even in the second round this year, again, this isn't a weaker second round than usual. The first round, and particularly the top of it, maybe. But the second round gives you a chance for depth just as good as you would find in any other draft. And honestly, I think some arguments are to be made for the tail end of this draft, having a whole bunch of great prospects. One guy I did want to mention before we get to it was Kara Lewis, who came from Alabama. Yes, yes.
wants to really like him, but I, I see why everyone does that. The mission to kick the TCU mm-hmm. just does everything great on the floor. I don't know where his feeling is, but he can just do it all. And another guy, as we mentioned, Isaiah Stewart from Washington, we have to obviously mention Jaden McDaniel, who had a very disappointing sort of career at Washington, but has all the promise of a guy who can be flexy and make big plays and shoot three pointer from the power forward position. We tend to forget, this is one of those weird classes where if we're looking at like a lot of the high school talent that was coming up, they're still going in the first round. Guys like Lavello, Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniel. So there's been a lot of guys in that. Once we get to the bottom of the second round, I still think there's a lot of guys who, despite what people think about them, I think could be really just, you know, just totality great guys. One guy that we didn't really get to mention, but who I've been kind of relatively high on, just overall, if I'm being honest, is uh, Captain Stanley Duke. Mm-hmm. He's, he, if in case you remember, he broke a Zion Williamson vertical leap record at Duke, so he's going to be a big, flexy guy who could be really, really good. And yeah. a guy who, I'm not super high on Rick, but I can see why people are Emmanuel Kentucky. A guy who's 6'3", has a 6'8", wingspan, who can make big passes and get to the basket when needed, so I don't think this is one of those years where you might see a bunch of guys near the end of the draft who would have normally been maybe higher in the second round or in the but into the late first round, they're going to be, it's going to be very interesting to see. And a lot of these blue chip schools like Kentucky and Arizona, they have a lot of guys go, like, you know, guys like Ashton Higgins. Uh, one guy we've been really talking about with Arizona a lot is He was flying on the charts initially, and he's been sort of sinking out the plate just because of conceptual issues of guys like Tyrell Carey going up a little bit based on the data and based on the numbers. But it's going to be very interesting to also let's not forget another Green D guy because we love talking Green D guys. Josh Green is a guy that's been yep. projected to go in the late first round as well. Yep, a lot to unpack there. Uh, a couple things here I want to tie into on what you said when you were talking about uh, one of the Duke guys here. Another one of them that in terms of somebody that uh, had a little bit more gloss coming out of high school than what we ended up seeing a guy with a little bit more of an old-school big body here, Vernon Carey, projects as a possible power forward slash center 6'10", 270. That's another guy uh, that uh, perhaps a year ago there was a little bit more shine on him as a prospect than now. But if you get him later in the first round or maybe even early in the second, could be tremendous value. Yeah, and, and I mean, some other guys, if you just want to talk about second-rounders, who could make big efforts. Devin Dotson from Kansas kind of built in that Mario Chalmers sort of body that can go out there and defend and make three-pointers when he needs to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, another guy who, I, who we didn't care about from this year, but I remember from the prior year that he was getting a lot of discussion with Marcus Howard from Marquette. Sure. And he's going to be really interesting to see where he's going to fall because I think he's just, he's a four-year senior coming out of Marquette. And as we know about four-year seniors coming out of Marquette that can make big plays and shoot the three. It's going to be very interesting to see what's going to come of him because in a draft that I think we're going to start to see a lot of guys, are, we're, we're filling out the back of rotation block in the NBA more than we used to. Because you remember too, Rick, before this sort of spread offense revolution in the NBA, it was mainly like your first seven or eight guys and then everyone else is going to be projects or you just screw out there. Now it feels like you 
Sure. So we're going to see a lot of these second rounders who might not normally make a team make a team just because of the COVID nineteen pandemic. Because we we're not going to see because we still do not know what the G League's going to look like or how the college season is going to look like moving forward. So there's going to be a lot of this might be the year you see a lot of teams buy their way in, like you said, buy their way into the second round, or even take a guy who they might not like, but they would project out better than a guy possibly from the next draft class, because we're going to have no clue exactly when the next NBA draft is going to be. Right, exactly, and that's where... But we assume the timeline will be the same, but we don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be closer to what we have come to see, but probably not exactly the same. My guess would be July or August for that. Uh, if we're looking at uh, second-round guys also, too, and if I'm going to be consistent with the last thing of commenting on bodies, uh, a real old-school kind of big-body guy, Omar Yurtsevin, the seven foot two seventy five center from Georgetown. Uh, and that's a guy where it's like, man, boy, it, it, can you imagine if that guy could ever develop really soft hands, how valuable he'd be? Right. And, I mean, if you're just kind of looking at, it's a guard-heavy draft, but you guys got a lot of good big guys, too. People tend to forget Daniel and Minnesota, the 6'10", can make big plays. And, you know, Adoka uh, Azubuki from Kansas is also another guy that we're just going to see what it's going to be. And, again, it would be weird to say because we've been going away from big guy centers, but... I expect with the rise of how Anthony Davis was able to batter these teams in the Western Conference, you're going to start to see guys, teams start to build those rotations roll out differently. I believe so, also, too. And you, you mentioned Kira Lewis before. I, I need somebody to design a meme for me, and it would be a passing the baton meme from uh, Alabama defensive line factory to Alabama point guard factory. I need that meme stat. <laughs> <laughs> I know, at some point it's going to matter. Yes. Yes, and, uh, you know, as you said, he is somebody that could really fit in nicely with a team here. And when you're looking at specific fit for teams, again, you have, by and large, your usual assortment toward the top of the draft of uh, teams in a sort of a sad sack position one way or another. As you get down at number 10, the exception to that might be Phoenix, based on how they played in the bubble, and if you look at the NBADraft.net projection for them, I mean, does it get any better than this? If they're able to get Killian Hayes at 10, and when point guard is by far the yeah. most player in the Sure. And I mean, sorry for interrupting, but I will note that we also have to remember about a couple of days ago, there was a report that uh, they were possibly looking to acquire a small remote KC, and there's also the discussion that Russell Westbrook is now going to be out on the market to be not happy in Houston. Sure. Even though he's a fantastic athletic phenomenon, that is 
going to improve on the next level. It's just, it's very interesting because if you look through the landscape of the NBA, a lot of teams kind of have that figured out already. And it's weird to see, and you're going to start to see guys making moves and trades. I mean, one, another guy that we didn't, we talked about Phoenix, so I'm just going to use the flip side. We'll talk about Chicago. Zach Levine has been on the trade block recently. Sure. So it's going to just really interesting to see what a lot of these, like, middle-tier, like, names that NBA fans know where they're going to end up. Because this is, they always like to say, uh, chaos usually breeds more chaos. And at the end of the day, this is really a chaotic draft timeline. Exactly. And... The other uh, team here, again, uh, a team that I, uh, being a lifelong Cavs fan, sort of loathe to bring up, but you have to. They're a big story this draft. Golden State at number two, uh, with the Splash Brothers coming back this year to play with Draymond Green. They're in a real straddle between play for now, play for later. And, uh, again, they're in a position where, like you said, because of the lack of sure things in this draft, it's not like they can just turn around and flip that. Uh, I, I think they're begging if they can get like a Bradley Beal or somebody like that that's a sure thing uh, for uh, for that right. pick there. Uh, there's projections in, in a lot of the mock drafts of Lomelo Ball going there, and it's intriguing in the sense that Steph Curry could play off the ball more, uh, where he is equally effective. Thought that James Wiseman could be a guy to give them that other element in the front court that they haven't had. I've even seen a mock draft or two where Okengu goes in that spot. So... For Golden State, there's any number of ways they can go. As somebody that loathes the team, I'm happy to say there's nothing they can do that is a sure bet to make them any better than they are. And I mean, another analysis point we have to know from their entire history, the Warriors are a very interesting team right now. Because most of the time when you get to this timeline of the dynasty, the dynasty timeline, the parts are kind of done, eventually. Right. absolutely think it is going to be intriguing for that. And the thing that I wanted to mention here uh, at the end is a little bit of a teaser is once we get beyond the draft, once we get into free agency, we'll be doing, of course, subsequently a season preview in the NBA that's going to be a lot sooner than anybody uh, could believe it would feel like at this time because of this really truncated off season. But before that, as I talked to you about off air, we've been talking about this for a little bit here doing a special segment on the show, just kind of examining something that almost feels like it ties directly into 
the theme of this year's draft because you're looking at this draft and it is going to be paramount on player development because there are really no sure things in this draft. Whoever you take, A, you better gamble correctly on what their upside is, and B, you better have a system in place that can unlock that. And it's it's not like I haven't meant to imply recently on the show that we've never seen it before recent years. Obviously, it was a key towards San Antonio's dynasty that they had had. The, the continual ability to develop guys like Tony Parker and Manu, subsequently uh, Leonard. But that almost feels right, right there. And when you look at the 2011 draft with Leonard as though sort of the, the beginning of the modern NBA in the sense of uh, not the trend towards wide open offense necessarily per se and the threes and all of that, but player development, which I think might be the story of the 2020s because you had Miami and Denver in the final four of this year's draft. And this is uh, this year's playoffs, I should say. And neither team had a guy on, uh, among their recent draft picks where it was like, oh, this guy is a lock to be a future franchise player in the NBA. I think Jamal Murray was the highest pick out of any of the core guys for Denver, and that is not by any stretch of the imagination a guy that anybody was, was saying, oh, he could definitely be a franchise player. He was a guy where it was like, sure, if they unlock him, he could be really good. And uh, he's turned out to be even better than that. Miami and Denver... They, I think, are they're giving hope to a lot of fans in this league, and I would I would count myself among them as a Cavs fan because this whole waiting for Godot kind of thing here of like we're going to tank and hopefully we tank the right year and there's a franchise guy coming out. I mean, look what the Cavs did getting LeBron in '03. Uh, I'm not going to say quite a once in a lifetime thing because it happened in New Orleans subsequently once a, with, with Zion. Once in a while, you make it happen. But most of the time, it doesn't happen. And player development is the thing that, that gives the, 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 it's the key towards true parity in this league. If we see more teams being able to do what Miami and Denver are doing, building those programs. And this year's draft, I think, ties into it perfectly. And I think when we have that conversation in the next several weeks, we'll be looking back on this draft and maybe looking at what players are in what situations coming out of this draft and where they might be able to become possibly the next Jamal Murray, Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, etc. And I think the true irony, and it's the point we do have to discuss and talk about, is that there is a distinct scenario where the European talent in this draft or the team that the prospects that played overseas were significantly better than the guys that played in the NCAA in college. And it's going to be really interesting to see how a lot of these guys project out because there's a lot of interesting prospects, but not a lot of players. I would agree with that, and that's the thing here, too, where... When you're talking about it, I mean, it really is sort of a conundrum. Uh, Denny Avdija here, the, uh, the the small forward out of Israel, six nine two ten. That guy sort of epitomizes the quandary that uh, a lot of teams have in terms of trying to to see where he can fit in. I mean, I've seen projections on this guy, and I think a lot of it comes down to on what day you saw him playing internationally. On some days, you look at him and you go, wow, poor man's Luka. Sign me up for that, because I think Luka's the next generational talent in this league. 
And then there's a, no, a number of times where you look at it and like, ah, I think that guy could be a slightly improved version of Chetty Osman. Well, I like Chetty Osman. I don't regret that the Cavs have him, but we don't need two of him. So that's where I'm very torn about looking in his direction. To me, that's high risk, high reward. He's going to be a rotational player. We know this. But I don't want a rotational player with a fifth pick in the draft. I, you, you know, that I don't, I don't care about what his floor is. I don't know if he has a good enough chance of justifying, you know, the pick with a ceiling. Right. And the, the interesting part too, Rick, is that Tommy Shaw's also been linked to Golden State too because he fits their mold to a six-nine guy who can, who can shoot the three and pass the ball. Another perfect guy just for them if they were if they're looking to possibly just keep that team together. That would make this draft so bizarrely interesting because under normal circumstances you would say the teams near the top need the most help. But it also kind of feels like it's one of those drafts where you probably would want some of the middle-tier teams near the top because it doesn't really seem like any game-breaking player is going to come out of this perceptionally, at least right now. Obviously, guys can improve and get better, but it doesn't seem like, in comparison off of coming to John Zion draft, that any one of these guys will make a splash impact right away. Well, in, in terms of Denny... What you said about him fitting into Golden State, I, I almost want to give you the skeptical guy meme of like, but can he though? Because like, I don't know. Isn't that the big question about his scoring and his shooting? And on what day is he going to be a guy that can hit those shots? And on what day is a guy, is he a guy who's going to look like uh, John Starks on the worst day of his life? I mean, that seems to be the question with him. I would think Golden State yeah. would want more of a sure thing offensively. That's the thing, too, and that uh, name I didn't mention before, too. It's uh, Whoever they take, it's going to be some contention for how they mesh in the lineup with Andrew Wiggins as well. So it's Andrew Wiggins and the Splash Brothers and Draymond Green, and then whoever you basically plug in with them, and as you said, in a league that is getting more and more positionless all the time, it does give them some more options than they might otherwise have. But uh, one way or another, this is going to be fun. This is going to be exciting to watch. It's going to be, again, hopefully once in a lifetime as far as uh, being a pandemic draft. We don't need this twice in a lifetime, so it will be a, a pretty virtual one, as was the NFL draft earlier in the year, and uh, it will be fun uh, to track this thing and, of course, to see the uh, subsequent beginning of free agency 
thereafter as we get forward uh, to the uh, December 22nd start of the season here. And uh, we'll be tracking, as I say, all of this as we go. But uh, Ben Shu, uh, always a pleasure. And as I said uh, at the outset here, hopefully the draft class can live up to the caliber of the conversation we just had. Right. And if I've learned anything, Rick, just even judging this draft, if there's a, lot, a player with the last name of Scrub, that usually means this is going to be a fun draft. That's right. That's right. We're going to have all that uh, to look forward to as we go through this here. Thank you so much, Ben Chu. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1306.